Let us pray. This morning, God, here by your grace, special providence towards us, Lord, we praise you for your love through Christ Jesus, who has redeemed us from eternal damnation, who was chosen from eternity past with an eternal love towards your people, towards us. Help us, God, to embrace that, to be comforted by that truth, to praise you, Lord, throughout the week in spite of the difficulties we find ourselves in. We ask God who would continue to forgive us our sins as you promised in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, Lord, would be forgiven of our violations of your law and thought, word, and deed. Not being grateful, Lord, perhaps complaining too much, or whatever the case may be, God, help us, we pray, to again acknowledge our sins and plead to Christ Jesus, not to be distracted from the lies of the world or the devil, Lord, who tell us that we can never go back to you, Lord, for we have sinned yet again. Yet we know, Lord, the gospel is for sinners, for us. Lord God above, we pray that you would be with our families, with our churches, with our schools, Lord, that schools strive to be faithful to your word, that we would be educated, God, both young and old among us, that we here at Providence, our church, fellow churches across this Presbytery and the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, God, continue to take Christian education seriously, to teach your word, to learn your word, to desire us to know more of Jesus Christ, the gospel, God, triune, wonders of the Trinity, Lord, through the word, Lord, through studying your Bible, hearing it, Lord, not only on Sunday, God, but throughout the week as we read it to one another and read it to our families, God. Help us to be desirous of learning more of you, teaching others as we are able. Pray, God, uh, for not only our church and our denomination, but for other Christians and their churches, Lord, that they would stand firm in the fullness of the doctrine of Jesus Christ, teach the whole counsel of God not to shirk their responsibility, not to shrink back in fear, Lord, from doing the right thing, teach the truth, nothing but the truth, Lord, not to water it down. We ask God for those Christian families in particular that are struggling, that can't find uh, a Christian school, can't find tutors or having a hard time homeschooling God for whatever the situation is. Be with them, Lord. Help them find a way. Lord, may churches, Lord, Christians start thinking of ways to help one another in educating generation. God is very important, Lord, because man, of course, in providence, that we have godly and proper instruction, not only in the things of this world, which is, of course, good and proper, God, to learn their one, two, threes, and their ABCs, but also, God, to learn the truth of your word and have it reinforced school, tutors, the homeschooling, through the community, God, and we see that less and less, of course, throughout this more and more pagan land. So, God, be with our children. Protect our children, God. Be with us. We who perhaps have no children or grown up and our children left the home, we would be examples and think of ways in which we can help families and children, Lord, learn more of you. Be properly educated. We ask God also that you would be with our church members here at Providence who are in the military. Simon, Lord, other Christians going in uh, that branch uh, or the police or the medical fields, God, that you would be with them. Protect them, God, especially from uh, the propaganda that is especially pushed in the military and other places, Lord. That you protect them. Be with them, God. They would find chaplains, godly chaplains, Certainly have access to the internet, Lord, wherever they may be. 
uh, in the world, the military in particular, God. And, uh, Lord, for those who are in the police force, the medical field, how discouraging that could be at times, that you would also be with them, God, that you give them wisdom, that they persevere and be a good witness to the world, lost and dying world. Protect your people, we pray, wherever they may be, whatever career field they may be. More and more, God, there's propaganda being propagated in these career fields, Lord. Wouldn't have thought of 10 years ago. We ask, God, that you would be with us, with our bodies, Lord, that you protect us. Heal us, Lord, through your providence. Give us the means we need to maintain our health, God. So we pray for those who have to uh, see doctors and new situations that come up upon their bodies, Lord, here at Providence. They would not be discouraged. They would persevere, uh, Lord, and find a good doctor, good aid for their body. Pray in particular, Lord, again, uh, for COVID, protection from COVID for those who are high risk from that and other ailments, Lord, that we've had over the years, that God, we would stay healthy here at Providence during the summer season. Up. We pray also not only for our physical health, but also for our spiritual health. That again, Lord, we pray daily in the word, and uh, Lord, take seriously the means of grace you've given us on this your Lord's Day and throughout the week you're able. Help us, we pray, to stand firm against the onslaught of the devil and the world and the flesh wishes to drown out the truth in our hearts. Pray, God, that we would cling close to you. Strengthen us, we pray, this Lord's Day. In name alone, pray. Amen. Let us have the reading of the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers children the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Hear also the words of our Lord, how he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. 
This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let us turn to our Bibles to 1 Peter 1.18. First Peter one eighteen and nineteen. As is often the case by many of the authors of the Bible, especially the New Testament, they give a lot of doctrine in a sentence. And the doctrine are hanging off the main sentence, speak grammatically. Right, you have a verb, an object, a subject. Uh, and these are all clauses hanging off that. It's kind of interesting that way. It's like it's taken for granted. It's not the main point in that sense of there's the, there's the verb. <clears throat> and we have that in this case, right? Knowing, I'll see the ING, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold or aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish. Without thought, let us, with these words, God, is holy writ, uh, we read wonderful truth, Lord, beautiful truth, that, may, that we pray that you would use to encourage us. Christ died, redeemed us, that we may be born again, that we may live, that we may live a holy life. In name alone we pray, amen. Redemption, the heart. Christianity. It is preached from the pulpits, it is experienced in the lives of our hearts, Christians, but is often not fully stood. I'm not going to go through all the different theories of redemption, what it is, other than to say that we believe in the substitutionary, vicarious atonement of Christ Jesus, who lived and died in our stead. Satisfied the divine wrath of now, one way of describing that in the Bible is through the word redemption. We are redeemed, we read in this text, but redeemed from what? And unto what? What does it look like? We say that we are saved, but saved from what? What does that look like? We sing about the blood of Christ. But why? What has it done? Is it magical? Needing to be drank like a potion in the Roman Catholic Church, as they teach? Now, we know that's obviously ridiculous, but it's still important to go over the idea of redemption and what. Peter is saying in this text, in light of the word of God, the whole word of God, counsel of God. So the first point is redemption accomplished. The second point, redemption applied. Some of you may recognize that title from John Murray's book. That's what came to my head. <clears throat> I'm sure he'd be satisfied that I'm using it. Wouldn't be upset about it. And so to understand redemption accomplished, we have to understand the need of redemption. Why do we have redemption? Why do we have the good news of Jesus Christ? To preach the good news without preaching the bad news is to bring people, I fear, more often to harm than we realize. They won't understand the good news. This sounds good, especially often because the good news is mostly reduced to kind of God has a wonderful plan for your life, things will be better if you become a Christian. And of course, as we know, there's no such promise. There's no promise of material prosperity to Christians as such. Tell that as we see to our brothers in Africa and the Middle East, China. 
No, the promise is the saving of our soul. From what? Are you saved? You see the placards up there, the stadium, right? Football season and whatnot are out in the street. Saved from what? What, what is this? This is not a Christian society anymore, brothers and sisters. Live in a post-Christian America and have for a while. We cannot assume that people know why they need the gospel, that they've been going to church all their life and they just need to make it clearer to them. Fortunately, even in the churches, there's a lot of confusion, as I said, about what redemption is. So we need to explain to them and perhaps to our fellow Christians, why do we have redemption? Why is it important? Importance of redemption, being redeemed and bought from Satan and sin, is because we're born in sin. We're born into Satan's kingdom. You may recall this little saying from New England Primer. Some of you at homeschooled your children, and Adam's fall, we send all. Right? That's it in a heartbeat, in a nutshell, excuse me, nutshell. In Adam's fall, we send all. This is why we need redemption. Why we need to be saved. Because we're sinners. We're born sinners. It's not like, well, about age 8, 9, 10, oh, we'll push it to age 12. You decide to be a sinner. Born a sinner. Thought, word, and deed. We're born into the bondage of sin, but it's a willing bondage. We're born with a desire to sin. We want to sin. We're not held captive against our will in that sense at all. And we see that because the gospel has been preached to people, and they turn it down, highlighting the power of sin. We are willing slaves to sin and Satan. By virtue of being under the power of sin, we want to be under the power of sin. We are not saying no to sin. We are fleeing God. In fact, we are embracing a life opposite of God. That's what a sin does. They embrace sin, they justify sin, they expand sin. And over and over again through history and, of course, in real time and our own lifetime. Collectively and individually. People want to be sinners. Not like they're against it and they can't stop them. What, what can I, I can't, I can't, I just, I really, no. They hate the consequences of sin, that's true. But if they don't love God, if they don't want to follow God, if they don't want to submit to God in his kingship, then you really know. They don't want to be They like, that's a problem. They need to hear that. You, you have a problem. No, I don't. Well, the fact that you deny you have a problem is part of your problem. But it's a big, serious problem. Sinners, that word often, are rebels, rebelling against the lordship of God. They don't want to follow him in thought words. They like the world as it is. They wish it was more sin, a place where they can do more sin, get away with it. That's a problem. That's what they need to be redeemed from. A world of wickedness, the world not only around them, the world in their heart, their flesh. That's a problem. Redemption, however, is here to fix that problem. It's here to deliver us from that domain, from that power, from the kingdom of Satan and sin. That's what salvation is about, brothers. It's not about having your best life now. It's not about having more prosperity. We may not have it. 
we're in fact losing. But we will have the prosperity of our soul. That's what's important. That's what we have to remember in preaching the gospel. Put things in the proper perspective. Redemption. What does that word mean? We know what we're supposed to be redeemed from. From our sins within us. From the sins around us. From the power of Satan and sin in his kingdom. We are slaves to Satan. We are slaves to sin. We are slaves to the desires of this world. We are not redeemed. What is redemption? The word is what we typically understand it to be, even in English. The idea of buying back or buying out of. redeeming someone from slavery. That's it. Nothing more fancy than that. The word is used in both Testaments, the Greek and the Hebrew. Specifically in the Old Testament, you see used in the passages about slavery, and of course the passages about the firstborn in Numbers 3. They had to pay uh, to the temple some money as a sign of the work of Christ. And so, redemption then, that particular word, highlights our deliverance, our being bought from the kingdom of Satan and sin. We redeemed from Satan and his power, power of sin itself, the darkness of this world, buy us out of willing slavery of Satan and sin. That's what the picture is. It's a metaphor. God did not literally use his blood and poured it into a container and gave it to the devil. I, I, I don't know anyone who actually teaches that. Now, there is a confused approach to the idea of redemption, sure, but I'm not aware of anybody who actually thinks Christ's literal blood from 2,000 years ago, and it was collected and brought to the devil in hell. Here you go. And so it's a metaphor in that sense. That Christ actually did something to be sure, but it wasn't, here you go, Satan, here's my literal blood, and Satan puts it on the shelf somewhere in hell. That's not what's going on. What is going on is the saving of your soul, and it highlights that we were slaves once, and God bought us or redeemed us with his blood. He saved us. Moral act. Covenantal act. Spiritual reality. There is an exchange that is the exchange of Christ us. Death of Christ. In our stead. Right? That's what's being highlighted here. And so our transition is from Satan, sin, and the kingdom of Power in the dominion, God's God's power and God's dominion. It can also be translated delivered, delivered from. And if you think about it, listen to the language here. It is God doing it. It is an active idea. God redeems you. God delivers you. What do you do? <laughs> He's coming to you because salvation is always of God, isn't it? God initiates it, God executes it, and God accomplishes it, finishes it. Repent, you believe, that's true. But even then, that's a gift of the work of God. That's part of what it means to be redeemed. And he gives a contrast here. So this is, recall, in the midst of the, the several verses where he's highlighting and emphasizing the call of holiness. Be holy as I am holy. One of the reasons is because you have been redeemed. You've been bought out of the unholy empire of Satan. And we were not redeemed, not delivered, 
with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers. Verse 18. Pagan redemption. You are not redeemed in a pagan way. Some of the religions included giving of money based off the gods, of something precious to appease them, to show them that you're very serious about the deliverance that you need. Of course, often deliverance is deliverance of economic poverty, warfare, and the like. Not always the soul. Religion and the economy were instantly retied thousands of years everywhere. That's the background. That's what he's talking about when he says, you're not redeemed with corruptible things. Basically saying, like what the pagans did, what the heathens did, the unbelievers did. Tradition that they had from their fathers. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. You were not redeemed to deliver from the aimless life of paganism, unbelief, by anything in this world, essentially. We know he's not just talking about silver and gold. Oh, it wasn't silver and gold, but it was other things you were redeemed from, right? No, the silver and gold are but just one example of many things that you're not redeemed by. Anything in this world. Nothing you could do, or say, or purchase could have redeemed you. From Satan and sin, the dark kingdom. The things of this world, there's many precious things in this world that people think perhaps could give them some peace, some deliverance from their conscience, for example, the consequences of their sins. The most precious diamond was discovered in Africa in 1905. That's the one that we've got our dollar amount, know the exact size. There's another one from India in the 1800s, but we don't exactly have much information on it. It was originally 1.3 pounds, but was fashioned into nine mini gems, the largest of which is about 0.23 pounds, almost a quarter pound. And that one's worth about a billion dollars. I would say that's pretty precious. But it's still not enough, is it? not enough to buy your soul. It cannot satisfy God's wrath, like the blood of Christ. Silver and the golds, the biggest gold nugget we had, weighed over 173 pounds from Victoria, Australia, called the Welcome Stranger. That's a lot of gold. can't buy your soul. America has much prosperity, and they think that they can buy their soul or a good conscience from God's Many Americans do, I believe. Maybe not in the crass sense. You're God, but in the sense I've got lots of prosperity. I can buy things that can calm my soul, that can somehow make it better. If I just, maybe, perhaps, some of them are thinking, if I give enough of my money, if I get rich enough, I give a lot of my money to the poor people. If I give money to the poor, maybe God will be happy with that. No, not enough. You can't buy your soul from hell. Anything need. And we have, brothers and sisters, the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. Praise be to God. And he says it. That's what we have. So I'm speaking, of course, in general and of unbelievers, but he's speaking to us, and I'm speaking to you as well. We have not, you have not been redeemed by anything in this world, anything you could buy, anything you could do, but only redeemed by the precious blood of Christ Jesus. Only him and him alone. It is Christ's redemption. It is his 
giving of his blood, change for our soul, buying us into heaven by the infinite value of his This is why Christ, our Savior, had to be God. We know why he had to be man, to identify with us, to be the second Adam, to be the head of a new creation. But our Redeemer had to be God, because that death, that redemption, had to be priceless. We use the word priceless. We would say those diamonds are priceless. That 173 pounds of gold is priceless. No, they aren't. You can actually put a money value on it. You cannot put a money value on the precious blood of Christ Jesus. Redemption that we have, the infinite blood of Christ, the infinite precious blood of Christ, is a doctrine that has been hammered out over the centuries. There in the Bible, clearly, but of course the church grows and matures, and issues come along, and Chris goes, okay, let's go to the Bible and say, what saith the Lord? God say about our, re- our redemption, our salvation. Now, the first thing we notice, of course, is the blood of Christ is shorthand for the entirety of Christ's work. It's real blood, yes. He actually died in time and space, yes. But it's shorthand for the entirety of his work. His life he lived for us. The beatings he had for us. The crown of thorns on his brow for us. The slow death on the cross for us. That's... That's what it's speaking of. That's what it's pointing to. But the blood, of course, uh, is a theme in the Bible, and so it picks up that theme saying, remember, Jews, all in the Old Testament, how Hebrews remind us nearly all of them require blood to highlight the importance of death. Somebody had to die in place of sinners, change for sinners, redeem them to buy them back into God's now, broadly, we have 1 Corinthians one thirty. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. If we dig into the Bible, we see a lot of broad themes and broad ideas covering everything that is related to our salvation. Of him, that is Christ, you are in Christ Jesus. He is our head, we are the body. Jesus became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption and whatever other word we wish to describe our salvation. That's 1 Corinthians 1.30. We dig in and get to the details of Christ. We see a lot of pieces fitting together. And it's been summarized well in the Westminster Confession of Faith, for example. Chapter 8. Go home and read that this week. Paragraph 5, read, The Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he, through the eternal Spirit, once offered up unto God, hath fully satisfied the justice of the Father, and purchased not only reconciliation, but an everlasting inheritance, the kingdom of heaven, for all those whom the Father has given unto him. I'm not going to go through all of that, obviously, but a reminder that there's a lot of detail in the Word of God about redemption, about salvation, about sacrifices. Two things stand out at the beginning of that paragraph. Redemption as the perfect obedience of Christ. 
where he obeyed in our stead. Romans 5.19, for as by one man's disobedience, we all know who that is, right? Adam, one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. It is by Christ's perfect obedience. Not just narrow focus of blood dripping from him or something. Again, that's shorthand, real event, for many things that he did for us. One of those things, obedience, because it was obedience to the cross, wasn't it? Unto the cross, unto the shedding of his blood. That's his call of obedience. And he did it for us, brothers. That by Christ's obedience, many would be righteous. And redemption as sacrifice. As the sacrifice. Or as we say, the vicarious sacrifice. That is, in our stead. He represented us. If we get a bad lawyer, courts, that's not good. You know why? Because he represents you in court. <laughs> you don't want a bad lawyer who badly represents you. Here we have the greatest advocate who represented us most perfectly, most efficaciously. That is, it came to pass. That's the second point. Redemption accomplished, or applied. Here it's uh, redemption accomplished 2,000 years ago. Hebrews 9.14, of course, of the many uh, myriad passages of the sacrifice of Christ, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The blood of Christ as a sacrifice. The whole theme, major theme of Hebrews. Is As he is the perfect lamb, takes away the sins of God's people. He satisfied God's justice in his obedience and in his death for us. And so reconciliation, therefore, gives us peace with the judge of the universe. And more than that, an everlasting inheritance. That is, the judge is now our father. And we get a royal kingdom. It says that. We are are receiving a kingdom that shall never change. That's what reconciliation is. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians. To summarize all this truth, that redemption accomplished by Christ is the redemption given to us by his obedience, by his death as a sacrifice, giving us peace with the Father, the eternal inheritance ever and ever, even now, have it. It's through the precious blood of Christ delivered us, deemed us, bought us from this terrible world of wickedness into his marvelous life. But how? How does what Christ did 2,000 years ago come to us now? Even this morning. That's the second point. Redemption applied. It's assumed here that they have it, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb, without blemish, and without spots, moral perfection, that is our Savior, verse 19. And he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. It was manifest in these last times. Who through him believe in God, raise him from the dead, and give him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So that, to the end, to this purpose, your faith and hope would be in God. God, our Savior. That's redemption accomplished and applied. 
redemption applied. Peter mentions, of course, the redemption that we have through him. And so we will look here a little bit about what it looks like as it's applied to us. How do we receive the benefits of Christ's precious blood? First of all, it starts with God again. Begins and ends with God, our redemption. John 3, 6, you'll know this passage. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit. Do not marvel that I say unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from, where it goes. So is everyone who is born. And it's the Spirit that brings us to Christ and gives us new life that was purchased, right? Bought. The idea behind redemption, buy out of or buy back. Christ. It is given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are born again. Call that the doctrine of regeneration. Right? Regeneration. Most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born again, that's the other word for it. He cannot see the God. He cannot be redeemed. There is no redemption without the Holy Spirit applying and giving us the benefits that Christ purchased for us. Eternal inheritance. The Spirit does that by giving us a new heart, a new life, brothers. You did believe. Never deny that you have to believe. You did repent. We never deny that you have to repent. The Spirit doesn't repent for you, right? The Spirit doesn't believe for you. But you believe and you repent because the Holy Spirit is in you and has regenerated you and giving you a new life, brothers. And that is the application, redemption, precious blood of Christ purchased for us. That is what we call conversion. Being born again. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from. It's an invisible activity by the mysterious power of the Holy Spirit. But it does break forth into conversion, we call that. First, regeneration, being born again, and then conversion. This is when you repent and believe. It's a conscious act. You could be born again as a baby. And it may take a while before you consciously act upon that new birth. That reminds us again what comes first, the Holy Spirit. The Bible is full of commands to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, to be delivered from Satan and sin. You know that comes and is real and can actually be acted upon because the Spirit is behind those commands for his people. We repent and believe because the Spirit is already working in us new life. Praise be to God. And this brings forth the other doctrines, which I won't go into the details, justification, adoption, sanctification. Right? We are justified by what? By faith alone. So faith is there. So that's you believing. There's conversion. Can't believe without the Holy Spirit. There's regeneration. All that is part of a part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. It has to be there. Have to have the Holy Spirit who will give you new life, therefore you have faith, therefore you justify. Believe in the precious blood of Jesus. Peter doesn't highlight justification here, 
or sanctification or adoption. He puts it all under the language of being redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. All that it entails. Anything else? Humans can't say everything in one sentence. Neither does Peter. So I am bringing these other doctrines in here to highlight and bring out depth of what is a wonderful doctrine. What does it mean? This is what it means. Christ literally lived for you and died for you. In exchange. Redemption. And here it is applied to us by the Holy Spirit. So that your faith and hope are in God. Verse 20. All packed there. Justification, adoption. Heard those before. We've gone over those before, especially on Wednesday night. But I went through a series. Feels like forever since COVID, but a year ago. But justification being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, Romans 3.24. Famous passages in Romans 3 and 4. 5.9, for uh, more, much more than having been justified by his blood. Go. Justified in the abstract, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Applied to us by faith and faith alone. Brothers. And of course, adoption. Sanctification purchased by Christ. Those are things that we do on our own, but are given to us by the Holy Spirit, because Christ purchased them for us. Being redeemed out of, bought out of, purchased out of, means we have all these wonderful inheritances. Eternal inheritance of justification, adoption, and sanctification. Praise be to his name. That's why we're here this morning. God has been with us and working through. Praise the Lord for saving us, brothers. Praise the Lord for accomplishing redemption for us, beaming us out of sin and Satan. Praise the Lord for applying that redemption for us, even here this morning. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, God, and praise you for the beautiful imagery here. We're not redeemed from the things of this world. They're corruptible. They're passing away. They will be destroyed. Final fire. We are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Yes, Lord, justified by the blood of Christ, adopted by the blood of Christ, and sanctified. Praise be to your name. Amen.